millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It began with Evelyn Hamilton. A lonely 41-year-old pharmacist found strangled in an air raid shelter in Montague Place. With her legs spread, her genitals and right breast exposed, there was no doubt that she had been posed. Whether to shame her, to shock her finders, or to titillate her crazed torturer. It seemed like a one-off but it was not. The next night, 34-year-old Evelyn Oatley, a sex worker known as Lita Ward, was found strangled with a stocking in her Wardour Street flat. Posed to elicit maximum horror, with great relish, he had carved up her semi-conscious body with a kitchen knife, a razor blade, and a can opener with a claw-like hook. Having thrust her metal torch, deep into her gaping vagina. Two different police divisions handled each murder. But before they knew that the cases were connected, he had attacked again. This time, 43-year-old Margaret Florence Lowe, a widowed fancy dress shop owner, now sex worker, in a Gosfield Street flat. She had been posed strangled, mutilated, and as with the others, he had stolen handbags, trinkets, and several unusual souvenirs, but rarely anything of any value. And while the police were mulling over what sort of homicidal maniac stalked their streets, the next night, he struck again. 32-year-old Doris Junet a secret sex worker known as Olga was slaughtered in her Sussex Gardens flat in a scene so unsettling that it made the police photographer physically sick. Four women, all strangers, all different, all butchered over four consecutive nights in unconnected parts of the West End. But it had left the police with an unanswered question. Was this just a four-day killing spree? Or had the Blackout Ripper murdered before? 
My name is Michael. I am your tour guide. This is Murder Mile. And I present to you the conclusion to Murder Mile's original eight-part series. This is part one of two of the Blackout Ripper, First Blood. On Monday the 27th of April 1942, 28-year-old Gordon Frederick Cummings, a leading aircraftman of almost seven years' service in the Royal Air Force, was tried before Mr Justice Asquith and a jury of 12 men in Court 2 of the Old Bailey. Issued with a court-appointed lawyer, paid for by legal aid, as was his prerogative, he gave no evidence in his defence, he professed his innocence throughout, and he pleaded not guilty to the charge of murder. In a trial which only lasted a day as the case had to be retried when the prosecution put forward the wrong fingerprints, the jury took just 35 minutes to find him guilty. With the judge stating... This court unhesitatingly takes the view that the evidence can only be described as overwhelming. Evidence which Marjorie, his loyal wife of three years, had to sit and listen to in court, with his child growing in her belly. With both the Met Police branding the Blackout Ripper as a madman, and Home Office pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury decrying these attacks as the work of a sexual sadist. Pleading insanity could have spared him a death sentence, but no plea of mental illness was given at his trial. Gordon Frederick Cummings was executed by hanging at Wandsworth Prison on the 25th of June 1942 at 9am. There was no denying that he had murdered four women and attacked two more across four days in February 1942. But what seemed unbelievable was that a spree killer would appear out of nowhere, almost fully formed. He knew how to stalk his prey without panic, how to attack unheard, how to flee undetected, and he had explored all of the sick and twisted things that he would do to their trembling bodies. But a person doesn't just wake up and decide to become a killer. So where did he begin? The police would later state that Cummings was a viable suspect in two unsolved murders of two unrelated women both on the fringes of Regent's Park, just four months before his West End attacks. The first was 19-year-old Mabel Church, who was murdered on Sunday the 12th of October 1941 at about 10pm in an abandoned house at 225 Hampstead Road in Camden. 
she had been strangled and posed. The second was 49-year-old Edith Eleanor Humphreys, who had been beaten, strangled and stabbed in her home at One Gloucester Crescent, just five days and half a mile from Mabel. Mabel Church, often frustratingly confused, owing to a dash of lazy journalism with a girl called Mabel Churchyard, was born on the 18th of June 1922. She was raised in West Ham and Stepney, East London, and later moved into a small lodging with her widowed mother in Tufnell Park, North London. From the age of 12, Vera Weimark was her best friend, and the two remained inseparable for the rest of her short life. Being a petite five foot and one inches tall and a dainty eight stone, she was described as slim but sturdy. Blessed with a really cheeky smile, splashed with red lippy, which beamed bright from a pale oval face, Mabel was chatty, confident and approachable. And as a lifelong Londoner whose Aunt B lived in Camden, she was street smart and savvy. Mabel was popular with the boys, dating a railway worker called Don, who was on national service at the time of her death. And although some sources state that she engaged in casual sex with servicemen, this was unproven. And besides, it's easy to cast aspersions over the dead who cannot defend themselves. By the outbreak of the Second World War, Mabel was working as an assistant in the electric department of Headway Board Council in West Ham, and two years later as a clerk at the Hackney Corporation. To do her bit for the war effort, she volunteered as a canteen assistant at the YMCA, preparing and serving meals in a series of hostels and mobile kitchens for factory workers and military servicemen. At the cusp of war, Vera's parents wisely moved their family from the constant barrage of bombs in West Ham to the leafy, less deadly suburb of West Wickham in Kent. But that didn't stop Vera and Mabel being best friends. Vera later said, Mabel and I were at school together and often met in London to have tea and outings. Saturday the 11th of October 1941 was no exception, as nothing, even the bell-trembling drone of Nazi bombers in the clouds, the shrill of falling doodlebugs, and the cataclysmic bang as brick buildings were blasted into bits, would split these two pals apart. Two years into the war, the threat seemed less threatening. So people went about their everyday lives, Shopping, dining, working, 
and having fun. Death was a daily risk, but everyone did so with a sense of safety. They knew the route to their nearest shelter. During blackouts, they carried a torch, and in case of a chemical attack, they carried a gas mask. That day, Mabel met Vera at Charing Cross Station. Having finished her shift at the YMCA, she was still wearing her short black coat, black skirt, black shoes, and white blouse, with no stockings or hat. Her hair was swept up into two dark brown rolls, and in her handbag was her canteen cap and tabard. That night, they had dinner at one of the Lions Corner House tea rooms. They frequented the theatre, possibly to see fun and games at the Prince's or Lady Behave at His Majesty's. By 10:30 p.m., they hopped a train to West Wickham, and the two chums spent the night at Vera's parents' house, as planned. On Sunday, the 12th of October, 1941, the girls returned to the West End for a spot of dinner and a trip to the Flicks. Possibly to watch High Sierra with Humphrey Bogart, or Billy the Kid with Robert Taylor. At 9 p.m., they parted ways at Charing Cross Station, having made plans to meet up sometime soon. But it was not to be. Vera would state, "When I left, when I left her on Sunday night, I went to get my train, and she, I understand." was going to get a bus home. The Northern Line normally ran a tube train direct to her home in Tufnell Park. But owing to the bombings, the line was down. It could be a coincidence, but a few streets east, at Frith and Shepherd's Theatrical Supplies, Marjorie, the wife of Gordon Frederick Cummings, the Blackout Ripper, worked as a theatre agent's assistant. Here he often visited his wife, and his connecting station to her home in Barnes was Charing Cross. At 9.30pm, she was supposedly seen by an unnamed witness in an undisclosed pub having a snack by herself. She was a 10-minute walk from where her body was found. At roughly 9.50pm, she departed an unnamed pub, cafe or YMCA bar in either Euston, St Pancras or Camden. Clutching her handbag and torch, she walked a familiar route along the unlit streets to Hampstead Road and waited beside a row of derelict terraces, which were part way through being demolished. Unfortunately, there were no known witnesses who saw her near or outside of 225 Hampstead Road. And again, 
it could be just a coincidence. But during his four-day killing spree, Cummings was stationed at the number three aircrew receiving centre and was billeted at St. James's Close on the Prince Albert Road. All of which are on the perimeter of Regent's Park. Just a ten-minute walk from where Mabel was murdered. But if this was one of the first kills by the Blackout Ripper, why did he choose Mabel? Unlike many serial killers or spree killers, Gordon Frederick Cummings didn't have a type. He wasn't driven wild by ladies who resembled long-lost lovers or sought to inflict wounds on women who looked like those who had spurned his sexual advances. On the 9th of February 1942, at 11pm, just hours before he murdered Evelyn Oatley, while struggling to achieve an erection, he struck the hair of sex worker Laura Denmark and said, I like blondes. I like blondes. That's why I picked you. But that clearly isn't true. If all six of these women were killed by Gordon Cummings, they ranged in heights from 5 foot 1 to 5 foot 10, in ages from 19 to 49, with hair colors from bright blonde to dark brunettes, every body shape from skinny to chubby, every job type from prostitutes to pharmacists, and they were all a mix of single, married or widowed. In fact, the only detail which unites all of them is that when he met them, they were alone. Being an opportunist, he attacked whenever or wherever he felt the urge. With Evelyn Oatley, Doris Yune, Margaret Lowe, Catherine Mulcahy, and possibly Edith Humphreys. Having been welcomed into their homes, he used the privacy of their walls to shield his sadistic tortures from the wider world. That said, Greta Haywood was attacked in a busy alley of Piccadilly Circus, Evelyn Hamilton in a public air raid shelter near Marble Arch, and possibly Mabel Church in an abandoned house in Camden. We know he didn't fear being caught, as when his strangulation of Catherine Mulcahy was disturbed by a neighbour, he simply smiled, he calmly put back on his clothes, he lit up a cigarette, and he walked away. As for whether he met and possibly charmed Mabel before luring her to her death. It's possible, as he didn't have a regular haunt and was happy to travel. Drinking at the Volunteer, Universal Brasserie, Café Monaco, Salted Almond, Chandos, Odenio's, Prince's, The Negro Bar and The Red Lion. All the way from St. John's Wood to Hammersmith. And he ate anywhere from cafes and pubs to chains like the Lion's Corner House tea rooms 
and several YMCA canteens. In each case, they may have been lulled into a false sense of security, as never once did he try to hide his identity. He always used his real name. He never disguised his face. He wore his RAF uniform, emblazoned with his rank and unit. And he openly talked with each woman about his career, his wife, and his life. Each victim was strangled, but he didn't carry a rope or garrote to inflict this. Instead, he used either his left hand or their own stockings or knickers. Sometimes, the strangulation was preceded by several hard blows to the face or head. And as with the savage mutilation of their bodies, he used whatever object he could find. Details of which had striking similarities to Mabel Church and Edith Eleanor Humphreys. Two women, as different as any other victim, and whose bodies were discovered half a mile and five days apart. Almost as if a fledgling serial killer was finding his feet. The murderer of Mabel Church was seen by no one, but it may have been heard. At 10 p.m. on Sunday, the 12th of October, 1941, from her flat overlooking the blackened shell of 225 Hampstead Road, Miss Lucy Words later stated, It sounded like someone was being attacked. I thought the scream came from boys and girls playing in the road. And then I heard a second scream. Being unwilling to put themselves in danger, the neighbors dismissed these terrified screams as mere tomfoolery. Ten hours later, Mr. C.H. Smith of Dalston arrived, being part of a team of contractors hired to complete the manual demolition of this bombed-out row of houses. Being little more than a brick block, it had no windows, no doors, few floors, and the partition walls were nothing but rubble. Even the wrought iron railings had been recycled into much-needed munitions for the war. So as he ascended the small set of steps out front, he didn't expect to see anyone else inside, except for builders, pigeons and rats. Only Mr. Smith was not alone. He later said, I walked into the house and I saw through a broken wall a pair of bare feet. With Mabel's shoes found in the basement, it was uncertain if they had fallen through the floorboards or if she had died down below and her body was later carried up and carefully placed on the boards of the ground floor. 
Either way, those who found her were all in agreement that she looked as if she'd been posed. Shocked by the sight of a young dead girl, with her thin pale arms free of any defensive wounds and her jaw swollen with a thick black bruise, it was clear that her assailant had knocked her unconscious with a quickness so he could do all of the despicable things he dreamed of to her body. With a great violence, he'd ripped off her clothes, her skirt, her blouse, and her bra, leaving just her short black coat splashed across her bare shoulders, like he had made a faint gesture of modesty. Only she died without an ounce of compassion from her killer, as he watched her short life slip away. Tearing them into a long strip, he tied her ripped camisole knickers around her neck and pinning her slim frame to the floor with her arms trapped by her side, he pulled both ends tight. So tight that the cotton cut so deep into her flesh that even if she wasn't knocked out, no one could undo the knot. With a swollen tongue protruding from her gaping lips, her angelic skin now mottled with little purple eruptions, and her eyes all black like two wet lumps of coal. Whereas once she had a sweet and cheeky face, this was now gone, replaced by a glimpse of unimaginable horror, as if she had died mid-scream. The investigation was headed up by Detective Superintendent Yandel and Detective Inspector Clare, who just four months later was the lead investigator of the Blackout Ripper murders. But at this point, they were not aware of Gordon Frederick Cummings, and Mabel's death didn't match any other. As part of protocol, the pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury examined the body, he established her death as strangulation by ligature, and an inquest was opened by Ingleby Oddy at St Pancras Coroner's Court. With no eyewitnesses nor viable suspects, the police questioned every known offender and army deserter in their files, but every clue only led to another brick wall. They published her photo in the local newspapers hoping to jog people's memories, but no one remembered or admitted to seeing her. Chief Inspector Frederick Cheryl of Scotland Yard was unable to detect any fingerprints on site, but at the autopsy, he did find several skin-deep imprints where her killer had touched her naked flesh with his bare hands. With this revolutionary technique still in its infancy, he sent the prince off to the police laboratory at Hendon. But being of a very delicate nature, they proved unusable for the detectives. 
and with that, the investigation into the murder of Mabel Church came to an unfortunate close. They had no witnesses, no fingerprints, very little evidence, and more importantly, no viable suspects. But was this the work of the Blackout Ripper? There were many striking similarities between each attack. Each victim, regardless of whether they lived or died, was strangled, either manually by a left-handed man or using the victim's underwear. Rarely did his victim struggle, as his initial attack was swift. This was achieved by pinning their arms to their sides, their bodies to the bed or the floor, and rendering them unconscious with a single punch to the head or face. On occasions, their clothes may have appeared scraped and their shoes scuffed, but this was often as they were dragged into position to be posed, or during the death throes of their strangulation. Each victim was stripped naked or semi-clad, and each time he deliberately moved the body, even if the position was awkward, so that their exposed vaginas faced the only door. The postmortem confirmed that Mabel had not been sexually assaulted, a common trait among his victims, as with Cummins cursed by a high sex drive and erectile dysfunction. Often he would attempt rape or sex, but there would be no evidence of vaginal or anal entry and no semen in any orifice which is not to say that he couldn't or that he didn't try. But maybe committing such abhorrent acts in a public place, maybe he was disturbed by a passerby and was forced to flee for fear of being seen. This may also explain why, unlike some later victims, Mabel Church and Evelyn Hamilton were not mutilated. Maybe he was seen. Maybe he hadn't a weapon to hand. Or maybe, being new to killing and unsure of what he disliked or desired, he was yet to truly develop his cruel and sadistic streak. The four-day killing spree of the Blackout Ripper came out of nowhere. Even during these horrific attacks, no one suspected him of anything so heinous. So maybe it was during the October of 1941 that he honed his dastardly skills, found what fueled his fire, and this helped him to gain the confidence as a serial killer. Being inexperienced in the ways of murder Maybe Mabel's death was his first faltering attempt. With the strangulation, the assault, the savagery and the posing of the body, all guided by a sadistic instinct. From this point on, they became part of his tried and tested technique. 
the Blackout Ripper's attacks lacked premeditation. As in the same night, some women he would kill and torture, whereas others he would treat with kindness and respect. So maybe, believing Mabel's death was a fluke, five days later, Edith's death would become his validation that he was a man who could kill with impunity and never be caught. If these were the work of the Blackout Ripper, he made his usual mistakes by leaving fingerprints. But still being a little cautious, he wasn't so arrogant as to misplace his gas mask or belt, which would later convict him. It was said that Gordon Frederick Cummings was considered a viable suspect by the police in both cases. But with very little conclusive evidence, no charges could posthumously be brought against him. Were the murders of Mabel Church and Edith Humphreys really the work of the Blackout Ripper? Or are we just desperately scrabbling for answers in the dark? The truth may be in his past. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. The concluding part of the Blackout Ripper First Blood concludes on Thursday. Or for some Patreon subscribers, on Monday, three days earlier. Ooh. And if you'd like to refresh your mind, why not listen to the original eight-part series called The Blackout Ripper by Murder Mile. As always, for those who wonder where the origin of the song, Who Ate All The Pies, came from, and for those who want to know more about this case, as well as enjoying a cake and a quiz, stay tuned till after the break for Extra Mile. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Barry Porter and Ken McRitchie. I thank you both. Your goodies should be with you by now, unless the postman has kicked them under the bins again. With a thank you to Selena Dean and Lucy Barr for your very kind donations via the Murder Mile eShop. If Eva hasn't already spent it on vodka and Alka-Seltzer, I plan to spend it on a coot-shaped cake. Murder Mile was research written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oh, dear God. Hey everyone, how you all doing? Oh, right, well, I'm yawning, but I'm yawning in a different way. Because normally I'm yawning because it's because I normally I'm grumbling that it's too early in the morning and I'm tired. And oh, look, it's not even dawn yet. And oh, Coot's been noisy, but Coot is fast asleep. He's fast asleep because this this is evening. This is evening time. This is almost seven o'clock at night. I I was gonna I was gonna do uh, the recording tomorrow morning. But I've already gone. I've gone on a, a walk down to the channelery down the road. I had a look at the boats uh, down there, and uh, I want to move my boat tomorrow. And there's a couple of spaces, and because it's night time, people tend not to move their boats. So I'm kind of, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm going to move tomorrow morning. So I need to get up early. So I thought to myself, bollocks, I will record uh, Murder Mile now because I'd already got the script ready. Oh, but my throat's sore. My throat's sore. Hence, and it, oh. I think I had more energy in the mornings and I can pet myself up and I've had my coffee but I felt really tired on that one so I hope that recording goes well. I might have to do an evening record for the second part otherwise it'll sound bollocksy. Right let's go on. I'm going to put on a cup of tea. I normally wouldn't have a cup of tea this late in the uh, in the uh, in the doodah the doodah the what's it the the thingamajig but I think I need one. I'm all over the shop. I, it, it hasn't helped that I've done 24,000 steps today. There we go. It's just I had I, I, my uh, safety certificate on the boat done today, which I can't concentrate when people are on the boat or when I know people are going to be on the boat. If I know I've got a day to myself, I'm all right. I can sit here, I can write, I can edit, I can do what I need to do. Um, if I know someone's going to turn up, even if it's in the evening, it throws me off. And I can't, I, just, I can't, I can't settle. I can't. Yeah, weird. Uh, uh, I'm all right when I'm in coffee shops because I don't write or edit in coffee shops. I just, I get all the shite done, all the, all the extraneous shite that you don't need to do. Uh, but I don't get any of the important stuff like writing or uh, editing done in a coffee shop. Not that we can go back to coffee shops anymore. We've just had the announcement that well, we just hit what was it forty nine thousand cases in a day. With COVID, ooh, lockdown's coming, lockdown's coming, lockdown's coming, ooh, exciting, yeah, another lock, another Christmassy lockdown, anyway, as long as the, the, uh, the government have their nice Christmas parties, we've all, we've all enjoyed looking at that, haven't we, anyway, uh, let's, let's distract ourselves from that bullshit, uh, uh, cake of the week, I'm not too sure, do you know what, I did my usual thing, I went up to the, the cake shop, and I went, ooh, I love a bread pudding, which I've eaten, and I, I've had a, uh, an apple and almond sponge thing. It was really nice. It was very, I had to eat it quick because it's one of those gooey things and you leave it in the bag and it just goes to shit. So I've had those and I've got two um, 
And those night lice, those lice, my oh, my mouth is gone. Those lattice things that are very nice that have the uh, that have the pecan nuts in them. They're really nice. I've got two of those, and they've got icing on them. Uh, and I've got something else as well. And I've got some sausages, and I've got some chicken, and I might do a ramen in a bit. Oh, I'm really hungry. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, we had the last Murder Mile walk last weekend, so that that is my tour of Soho. All went well. Thank you to everyone who has attended Murder Mile over the last. Christ, seven years. wasn't meant to be seven years. I wasn't even meant to do one tour. It ended up being seven. Thank you to everyone who's turned up over, over the years. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, plan is to have the new tour up and running in spring, summer. I don't know when. I, I don't have a date for it. I, you can't buy tickets for it yet. I'm re- I don't want to think about it just yet. I just want to give myself a break. Uh, so that's all good. Uh, if you have a voucher uh that you haven't used up for murder mile that's fine you i I mean that's why i kept the tours open for the last six months so you could use up your vouchers i understand if people can't um so uh if you want to email me and i can uh, exchange that donation turn it into a donate that ticket and exchange it for a donation for some mungos which is a homeless charity that looks after uh, uh all the homeless people in the in uh in west end mostly of london uh or uh, i'm happy to let you use those tickets for the new tour when they come up so ignore the expiry date uh and then we'll we'll uh, shift into that god that was waffle wasn't it um uh just powering through stuff at the moment uh this is the two-parter i'm editing this now i'll probably yeah get this edited and then start work on the next episode and then we're done i've got one little secret thing that i'll do as well but then we're done for christmas so i'm hoping that i'll be done by the 23rd and then i can take some time off uh i'd love to go and see my dad my dad and my stepmom unfortunately i can't uh because covid is going all shitty and my dad's immune system is shit he was in uh he's in hospital for the last five days he'd uh his kidneys just went as it touch and go for a bit but he's uh he was in a, he was in pretty bad way but he's he's made a recovery now so uh, uh he's resting up he looks really really painfully thin at the moment but uh that's why i would love to go up and see him but i don't want to risk going up there even though i've had all my jabs and i had my booster during the week and that was great uh and my arm has been hurting like i've been wanking for about 50 days uh, how would i know that uh, yeah just a guess just a guess i'm guessing um uh, just to say oh uh obviously uh, the podcast uh finishes at the end of the year i think the last episode is the 30th of december as always i take a little bit of a break when i do i give myself a little bit of a break because i bloody need it and then i do the final part of the research and then we restart i think it's 23rd or 24th of february that's the new season uh that's when we all restart but uh, on Patreon, yeah, yeah Patreon, uh, he's waffling on about it again. Uh, um, if uh, on certain tiers, I think it's, I think it's uh, like there's a seven dollar tier or above. You can get, you get walk with me, which is the weekly podcast. And if you enjoy this chatty bit, this is me taking a walk. I go through woods. I, I, I visit some doggers. Uh, I risk getting run over a lot. Uh, but what I do on those is I fill you in on on all the details that I don't tell you an extra mile about the cases. But in January and February, um, 
what I always do is I fill you in on all the research. So you learn about all the cases coming up and I take you on little walks with doggers. But in January and February, I make sure that ev- everyone has access to this. Uh, all the patrons. So it doesn't matter what tier you're on, January, February, you get access to all these. Oh, uh, you get access to walk with me and people seem to enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just me d- d- doing what I need to do. Sometimes I, I do my washing. Sometimes I'm having a snooze. You know, it's all good fun. This kettle's taking a long time, or maybe it's just maybe it's just because I've run out of shite to say. Um, I tell you, I'm going to dive into some questions in a bit, and then we'll dive into some stuff about this case as well. I need to be really careful because obviously we're going to dive into uh, part two next week, of which we'll dive back into the Blackout Ripper's back history. Uh, and we will dive into more about Edith Eleanor Humphreys, which is the other murder that they say that the Blackout Ripper committed. Uh, I think that's done. I'm going to grab that. That should be done. Or maybe I should just grab me a beer. That would be lovely. Oh, that's why. I think I put too much water in. Ah, oh, it's hot. Oh, hot. Hotty, hotty, hot, hot, hot. Hotty, hotty, hot, hot, hot. Here we go. Powdered milk in. It is. It is winter. I can buy regular milk. It's just. I. I, I just. This can't be asked. The only time I buy regular milk, regular milk, is when I'm. Uh, when I'm making Angel Delight. Ooh yes, Angel Delight. That's my little treat. Switch light off. Right, coming back. Coming back. Coming back. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. What's that in there? Something is in my tea. What the frick is that? Right, something's in my tea. It looks disgusting. I'm guessing it could be... Oh, I don't know. It just looks shit. I thought it was an insect because I had uh, one of those... uh... Those big mosquito shit things flying around, uh, and I thought it was that, but when I picked it up out of my teeth, something broke into two. It can't be that, anyway. Let's do the quiz questions, and then we'll dive in, right? <sighs> Don't forget, I'll probably balls up some of these questions, so uh, that's it. Just, just accept it. If I balls it up, you get a free question, right? Um, what was the name? Question number one What was the name of the doctor who certified Mabel as dead? So what was the name of the doctor who certified Mabel as dead? Question number two. Who does Mabel often get confused with by lazy authors and journalists who can't be asked to do their job properly? Yes. Question number three. What films is it possible that Vera and Mabel saw at the cinema? There was two that I mentioned there. Question four. What was the name of Mabel's boyfriend and what did he do as a job? Question five. Um, oh, i got burpees. Uh, what was the name of the lady who possibly heard Mabel being murdered? <gasps> Question number six. Who was the judge at Gordon Cummings's trial? Uh, Question seven. What was the first name of Gordon's wife? Question eight. What did his wife do as a job? Question nine. 
name uh, name either either of the plays that Vera and Mabel may have watched that night. Yeah. And question ten. Uh, roughly, how many minutes walk away is the murder scene of Mabel to Edith? Edith. Uh, so let's dive into some extra stuff uh obviously uh, around the time of world war ii there's kind of a lot of murders that we seem to be picking up on uh in and around the west end many of them to do with uh military personnel it, it's understandable really you've got a high influx of people coming into town using sex workers getting drunk using drugs you know Obviously, there's a lot of PTSD going on as well, but that kind of wasn't really acknowledged in that era. Um, episodes that we can go back to was uh, uh, Ralph Bradley McKinstry. If you go back to that, that was the Peggy Richards episode where he uh, got that uh, lady and he threw her off uh, Waterloo Bridge. We've got the James Forbes McCallum one, which was the guy who tried to rob the uh, Coach and Horses pub in Covent Garden. Uh, there's that one you can go back to. There's loads, actually, of... of uh, serviceman there's the uh the unfortunate mr johnson is also on there as well uh ooh, I just realized that i should i should really do my hair and have a shave tomorrow that'll be on my list um there were 305 wartime mur- murderers uh who uh have, have been set free hang on uh my god i think i've got my data wrong there um uh, here we go. Uh, 818 known murders in England and Wales from uh, 1940 to 1944. Uh, these were known murders. Obviously, the, the problem is, especially during wartime, there was a lot of bodies found, but it was hard to determine whether... Sometimes the police would turn up and they'd go, it was hard to determine whether it was a murder or whether... Uh, the, the, you know uh, they've been killed in bombings or things like that often you can you can just they, they often found that people would dump bodies in old bomb sites and you couldn't really tell the difference obviously don't forget you haven't really got a fully functional police force around this time uh so of those 818 known murders in the in england and wales during that era 219 cases uh the suspect uh committed suicide uh 51 of them were acquitted when they were tried one of them had their conviction quashed and six had their charge uh lowered to murder um uh many of these cases that were not solved uh there was quite a few of them at the time but obviously we've got mabel church we've got edith humphreys there there's helen uh hoyes who's a 55 year old kitchen assistant uh at the american red cross in southampton that's too far out of my remit so i won't be going there uh and mrs eileen cook known as irish molly who was seen with a soldier on the 5th of february 1945 um, this is over in Bethnal Green, so I won't be covering that one, but there's a lot more that will be cropping up. Uh, Jean Stafford over in uh, Bedford Place, I'll be covering that one, and Theodora Green as well. Um, uh, waiting till I can get the archive files for that one. So, uh, Mabel Church, um, as mentioned, murdered uh, 12th of October 1941, around 10pm, around roughly. She was found roughly around 8am the next morning. Unfortunately, with this file... Um, with both these murder cases the files are not available uh one of them is available in three years time uh but i suspect that that would be pushed back as always happens because it's so fresh and there's probably still relatives who are alive uh that will probably go to court soon they'll have a look at it and they'll take out some details the other one i think it's edith's one um 
that is uh, not available for another 20 years so uh hopefully i'll still be alive by that point you never know eva may work me to death or shag me to death hopefully um did you hear that <laughs> um Everyone seemed to like uh, Mabel. She seemed like a really nice lady. Uh, she was quite sweet. She was quite confident. She was quite street savvy. Um, as mentioned, she worked as a kitchen assistant. Hence, in her bag, she had uh, her kitchen uh, tabard and her cap. She also had some spare clothes in her bag. And she was planning uh, to go down to her... F- ah, there's that little mosquito little bastard. I think that's his name, Mosquito Bastard. It's because it's because the air's warm outside and it's uh it's uh there's a lot of mosquitoes and midges around, little bastards. Uh yeah, she had some spare clothes with her because she was planning to stay at Vera's that night. Um uh as we know she worked at the uh the electricity department for both ha- the Hackney Corporation uh and Headway Board Council over in uh West Ham. West Ham. But she worked in as the kitchen assistant in the service canteens for servicemen in the West End. She worked in different areas. So uh, I know that she worked at the one at Waterloo Station, London Bridge, St Pancras Station. And there were a lot of mobile kitchens as well, little vans that were going around. And they supplied food for the people who were working in factories uh, nearby. Uh, Back of uh, Oxford Street. It may like behind Selfridges and places like that. It looks like very, it's very nice now, but a lot of those were kind of munitions factories as well, which is why Oxford Street got bombed the shit out of it because there's munitions factories everywhere. Uh, and she was she was uh, making the meals, but also serving them in those different areas. Um, now a lot of people confuse Mabel Church with the name that I can't mention because it's part of the quiz. Um, and where this came about was because on one official document, unfortunately, the person who was typing the document up on the front page of the document used the wrong name. Now, we don't know why they did that. They were just obviously just a twat. Um, but luckily, we have the evidence of Vera, uh, Vera, Vera Wymack. Uh, and Vera was uh, Mabel's best friend for like half of her life since they were 12 years old so you know a big chunk of her life so a lot of the details that we get about mabel church comes from her best friend vera and i'm more likely to believe vera who knew her and they were best friends and they were side by side forever like like sisters than focusing on a document which probably had someone who wasn't paying attention uh as we've seen many times in court documents police documents um quite often things things just happen people just make mistakes we're we're human whereas vera it's unlikely that she would get her best friend's surname wrong um uh, as mentioned in here um there's a lot of kind of spurious sources who often say that uh um she uh mabel church was known to engage in sex casual sexual relations with servicemen right i can't find anything that proves that maybe in the maybe in the the file maybe that does prove it but i can't find anything categorically that said that she was a sex worker or do you know it, this is the kind of thing that we see quite a lot especially you see it with the kind of the jack the ripper case and things like that uh there's a big chunk about this going to be in murder mile the book um i think a lot of people have a tendency to go well if we say that she's a sex worker therefore we don't have to you know we can we don't have to care that much about the fact that she's dead we can kind of pick apart all the details we can go oh let's dive into all the horrible murky stuff about the life oh it's fine then because she's a sex worker who fucking cares right but 
Um, I, th- I just think that's absolutely despicable. So um, there was n- nothing that states that she was a sex worker. Therefore, I've poo-pooed that. Uh, if anyone can disprove that, please do. But just don't use shitty tabloids, fuck's sake. Oh, ah, uh, just uh, the amount of mistakes. I'm go- For Murder Mile, the book, I'm finding so much in the tabloids. Uh, they're just, just shite. And you just think... Wow, you really aren't doing any research. You're just churning out shitty stories in the hope that morons will pick it up and go, yeah, oh, look at that, disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck's sake. Um, uh, Vera and her friends. Okay, so her parents lived in West Wickham down in Kent. Uh, well, it's Kent then, but uh, the the boundaries of where the counties were keep moving all the time. So it was only about 100 years ago that kind of uh, Bermondsey was classified as Kent, really. Uh, how, oh, I just pulled off my uh, plaster that was covering over my where I had my booster done the other day, my wanky booster. Um, so, yeah, so you can keep seeing it. So uh, West Wickham is classified as Kent then, but really it's kind of it's between Bromley and Addington. So it's not it's not really that far away. But um uh all details here that i can't give you um we will just skip through that uh vera's comment she said mabel and i were at school together in west ham we often used to meet in london for tea and outings when i left her on sunday night i went to get the train to west wickham and she and she i understand was getting her bus home um the line going over the thames was bombed uh about three I think it's about six months earlier, so the line was still down. So she could theoretically have just got on on the northern line and headed straight up to Tufnell Park, but it was down. So uh, therefore, she had to get a bus from the Strand uh, up to. Unfortunately, there was two, so either to Kings Cross or to uh, Euston, and it's more likely that it was the Euston one because that's that's the side that you get off at. Uh, on that bus timetable to get to the Hampstead Road, so it was there. I did that. I went through all the old bus time timetables to check that out. Um, where she ended up, we don't know. This is where it gets weird. If she would have got on her bus at about nine ten from the Strand, uh, she would have arrived around nine thirty. So it's likely that she may have gone to a pub or a cafe or a YMCA bar. She knew the area well. Uh, she was seen in a uh, a pub that's not mentioned. Uh, it's not mentioned for any spurious whole kind of horrible reasons it's just kind of it just wasn't mentioned that people did i i've had to get i've had to pull this together from lots of different sources so therefore i can't find out exactly which one it was but i will do when the original files come out she was in a pub having uh, a snack inverted commas by herself she didn't appear to be with anyone uh so yeah uh so whether whether the blackout ripper actually met her in that area because he was he knew Charing Cross area well. He knew the Strand and Oldwich well because that's where his wife is based. Uh, or that could just be coincidence. It really could be. So uh, we don't know. Um, what else we got? Uh, the uh, 225 Hampstead Road was originally marked as uh, the former home of Alfred Tennyson, the poet. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, this building was bombed. There was a series of bombings that happened during World War Two, and uh, during World War One, during the Blitz, this area was really badly bombed out. Uh, so this building, um, 
unfortunately uh, was in the process of being demolished and if you go there now or if you go onto the patreon site and you look at the videos uh, i've posted some pictures of what the building would have looked like there's a nice picture of sir bernard spilsby coming out of the murder location itself uh, but in its place now is a series of uh, blocker flats uh, on the Hampstead Road. Um, the lady, whose name I won't mention, see, I'm getting good at this, who said she heard the scream. She said it sounded like someone was being attacked. I thought the scream came from boys and girls playing in the road. Then I heard a second scream. Um, uh, she was strangled using uh, her own camisole knickers. Uh, if it was the black, her attacker had ripped them off, had put them into kind of a long thread tied them around her neck and strangled her he'd already beaten her uh punched her across the face unfortunately we don't know what in some cases in later documents i say documents it's kind of articles where people have written about this they've spuriously said that uh, it, uh she was hit on her her right hand side which means it's a left-handed punch but there's no evidence anywhere of what side of the face the bruise on and it's and it's kind of easy to just say well she she had a bruise on the right hand side of her face therefore he was left-handed but you know i'm not willing to take that i'm not willing to say that on there i i would rather if i can find evidence of which side of her face she had the bruise on that makes sense but it doesn't necessarily mean that um uh, her attacker was left-handed at uh, 12% of the population are left-handed um, although even with the pathologist the pathologists do state that um, the only way that you can tell whether uh, if she was strangled I mean if she was punched by someone who's left-handed likely it would be on the right hand side of her face but it depends whether she was facing him or whether she's turned away because if she was turned left and he punched it it's still possible uh strangulation you could kind of say that a lot often they say you can tell the difference between whether uh, how a left-handed person and right-handed person ties a knot behind the neck unfortunately we don't have any information about which way it was tied all we know is that it was very heavy very tied really hard and that the knot was deep into her neck so we don't know exactly whether it was a left-handed knot or a right-handed knot uh, we also don't know whether Cummins, who was left-handed, could do right-handed knots. It's possible that he could. So we can make it. There's a lot of conjecture we can say about this, but we can't get everything. We, we can't get details right. So I'm only I'm only going to give you what I can confirm on this. Um, we don't know whether anything was stolen from her bag. Her uh, her bag was there. Her waitress's cap was there. Uh, her tabard, some clothes. Uh, a number of letters we don't know what these letters were possibly between her and uh vera uh or maybe maybe a boyfriend maybe her boyfriend uh who was overseas at the time uh and her gas mask uh as mentioned her clothes had been ripped off inverted commas with uh great violence and then her short jacket was put kind of either underneath her shoulders or over her shoulders it's 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 not clear on different sections and everyone seemed to believe that she was posed but obviously the the shock of the body you're seeing a body you're seeing it there is it posed or was the body put in a position so he could attempt to rape the corpse and then couldn't achieve it as we know with the black Heart ripper he has uh he has uh, a lot of erectile problems which is where his his issues many times seem to come from um 
the doctor who turned up, whose name I won't mention, the divisional surgeon, he said that she'd been dead for at least 12 hours. He turned up at around uh, around 10 p.m., which makes sense. That would be 12 hours if you go back to when they heard the screams. Although he did state because of the weather conditions, it was very cold at the time. So this could affect <coughs> the timings. Um, what else we got? Uh, as mentioned before, there's kind of no no signs of a struggle so obviously he'd punched her quick uh we still don't know why she was in the building this is this is something that's kind of there's issues around this so one uh the police believe that she was waiting at a bus stop nearby which makes sense because the bus stop was near although my I would I would dispute that because if she was going north to Tuff, Tuff, Tufnell Park, she'd be on the opposite side of the road, whereas the houses were on the south side of the road, uh, which doesn't make sense. So either she was dragged from the other side of the road into those abandoned buildings, which which could happen, uh, but it doesn't. That's the police's theory that she was waiting at the bus stop. Someone got her, dragged her into the building. That's why they heard the screams. Uh, the the more salacious people out there who kind of have tried to investigate this, they suggest that she was a sex worker and therefore she went into an abandoned building to have sex with a young man for money. There's no evidence of that at all, uh, and I think that's I think that's kind of cruel to cast the assumptions that she was a sex worker when we don't have any evidence of that. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Uh, but as we know, she hadn't been sexually interfered with, so kind of kind of disputes the idea that someone had kind of attacked her to rape her and then couldn't do anything but then again as we've seen blackout ripper has erectile dis dysfunction so um what else we got uh i try not to ruin too much for next week because next week is going to be a big one i think i think it was interesting that uh, uh chief inspector cheryl who was also he's kind of the 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 leader from the fingerprint bureau he's kind of the, the 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 guy who kind of a lot of the things that we do today based around fingerprints came from uh, uh chief inspector cheryl uh he had found skin deep imprints on the body so this is 1941 and even though he couldn't he couldn't find uh usable fingerprints in the location itself because don't forget this is a derelict building it's covered in dust so you know you can't there's your oils don't sit anywhere that's that's what fingerprints are is the oils on your skin and the ridges is the bits where that don't have the oil in between and that's what you see but if you've got surfaces that are covered in dust it, it you may be able to look at it and go oh, fantastic but it's hard to kind of pry those off and to get viable kind of clear fingerprints so he couldn't get any of that because it was a building site but he was able to see them on the body. Obviously, her body had been covered in clothes and then it had been removed. And if he'd got oils on his hands, he was able to see that. Or maybe maybe the fingerprints were kind of a little bit sooty as well, a little bit dirty. So uh, he tried to take them off. It was a new system they were developing over at Hendon. Uh, unfortunately, they said it they, they were... Oh, that was a burp. Sorry about that. Uh, they were of a really delicate nature, nature and unfortunately, they, they corroded. Uh, they would... They, even in advance he'd already said to the detectives look this is a new technique the prints have a tendency to be to become damaged uh and unfortunately because of that no fingerprints exist so do you know what hats off to him for trying he had he saw that he couldn't find the fingerprints anywhere else he had to look at the body found some on there he tried his best couldn't make it um as mentioned there's a lot of theories out there i've mentioned already about her being a sex worker obviously we we got kind of no 
evidence for that at all. Uh, let's not forget... Not all of the victims of the Blackout Ripper were sex workers. Uh, Greta Hayward wasn't. Evelyn Hamilton wasn't. Uh, next week, uh, Edith Eleanor Humphreys. Again, the again the press and some unscrupulous people try to assume that she was a sex worker. And the reason why is because the police and the press had said at the time that uh, Mabel Church had lots of men friends. She's popular with the boys. Therefore, they a lot of the press and uh, unscrupulous journalists and people like that have said sex workers. Same with uh, Edith Humphreys for next week. She was, uh, she had a lot of men friends, but she was a widower. She, she was a forty-nine-year-old widower. What, you know what's she going to do? She's going to sit there and just freaking grieve for the rest of her life. She needs to get. Out. She wants to get out of there. She wants to find herself someone nice. Therefore, she had some men friends. Not all of them were sexual acquaintances. Some of them were just men friends. I don't. I don't understand why people don't understand that and why they have to make this kind of spurious leap into being. Uh, you can tell I'm. Uh, I'm getting cranky because I haven't eaten yet. Oh frick! And my knees are sore as well because I've been doing a lot of walking. Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Uh, men friends have done that bit. I've done that bit. Done that bit done that bit was this t-ball was this blackout ripper i don't know um what i'm gonna do next week is we're gonna dive into his past um when i was doing the blackout ripper series the the eight parter there was i obviously i died i dove deep into that and i got a lot of details about him and there was a lot in there that i didn't use in the in the original series because it, it it just didn't seem to make sense i haven't even had a slurp of tea yet cripes tea from my murder mile mug um there was a lot in that and i learned a lot about where he was posted where he went kind of pubs he went to brothels he went to kind of things like that and i never got to use it and i thought i i kept hold of it and i thought one day i can and this is the point now so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna we're gonna do edith hamilton's edith uh humphrey's murder there's lots of ediths and lots of Surnames beginning with H, and I'm getting confused. Uh, and then what we'll do is we'll dive into his back history because if Mabel Church is his uh, his first murder, and then you got Edith Humphreys is his second murder, if there must be something prior to that, there must be something pre that, because if if the Soho murders that we call, I'm calling them the Soho murders, but kind of the West End murders, the 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 killing spree was kind of him on a big rampage, and these were his kind of pre-murders. These were kind of him finding his feet. There has to be something prior to that. You don't just you don't just make a decision to become a murder murderer. So uh, yeah, interesting case. I'm not going to dive into too much more because next week's episode uh, I've still got to write that. I've still got to write that. Uh, but i hope you enjoyed that episode uh it's been it's been on my mind to do this for ages and uh, uh i was trying to find uh I, as always i try to end the, the the season with a big series and i hadn't really got one lined up i had but another podcast has already done a kind of a, something similar to that and i was like oh i don't want to i need to find a new angle now i can't i can't if someone else has already done an episode on it it kind of ruins it for me really <laughs> so right so hence i decided uh, i thought right i've got all my data i will now do the blackout ripper first blood right let's do uh, answers to the questions question number one what was the name of the doctor who certified mabel as dead his name was dr grief 
Lovely. Question number two. Who does Mabel often get confused with by lazy authors who can't be asked to do their job properly? Uh, it is Her name is uh, Mabel Churchyard. You'll see it in books all the time. They'll go Mabel Church or Mabel Churchyard. No, not Mabel Churchyard. Mabel Church. That's her name. How do we know that? Because we've got all her background details and we've got a lot of details from Vera, her best friend. End of. Her name is Mabel Church. End <laughs> Unfortunately, in the in the uh, National Archive files, this is one of the files that we can't get out, of which on the front someone has written Mabel Churchyard, but it's wrong. That's the problem. I, the amount of times I've pulled out an archive file, and even in court documents, even the judge quite often will say someone's name, and you go, but that's not their name. And you just go, God, you, what is going on in the world? Question number three. What films is it possible that Vera and Mabel saw at the cinema? Now, obviously, because I don't have access to the files, I don't know which films they saw. But ones that were available uh, in the West End that night were High Sierra and Billy the Kid. I've written Billy the Kind there because I'm a twat. Um, also, uh, coming up soon, but wasn't quite available, Citizen Kane was just had just come out, uh, as was Dumbo. Uh, but unfortunately, being in Britain, we don't we didn't get like uh, American films for like another six months to a year, as always. Um, question number four. What was the name of Mabel's boyfriend and what did he do as a job? His name was Don and he was a railway worker. Uh, police investigated him and he was he was serving overseas at the time because he was on national service. Uh, so he's not considered a, um, a suspect. There's almost there's very there's almost no suspects in the murder of uh, Mabel Church, which makes it makes it baffling. You would find one or two, but there's there's pretty much none. Uh, question five: What was the name of the lady who possibly heard Mabel being murdered? Her name was Miss Lucy Wirtz. Question number six: Who was the judge at Gordon Frederick Cummings' trial? It was Mr. Justice Asquith. I'd struggle saying that during uh, the recording. Question number seven. Uh, what was the first name of Gordon's wife? Her name was Marjorie. Uh, question number eight. What did she do as a job? She was a theatre agent's assistant. Question number nine. Name either of the plays Mabel or Vera may have watched at the theatre. Obviously, of course, we don't know, but these were the ones that were available. Uh, they were Fun and Games at the Prince's Theatre or Lady Behave at His Majesty's. Um, and question number 10. How many minutes walk away is the murder scene of Mabel's to Edith's? It's roughly eight to ten minutes walk. Uh, you can almost see them from each other. In fact, next to Edith's is a church. And from Mabel's, you can see and hear the church. So, uh, yeah, the, it, it's amazing when you look at it. If you, if you go on to, if you become a patron subscriber, I've done you a little map. And you can see uh, on there I've put I've put the murder locations for Edith and uh, uh, Edith and Mabel. But then I've also put all of the other murder locations for the other uh, Blackout Ripper killings, but also the locations where uh, the Blackout Ripper's billets were, where he was stationed, and the places he was known to pick up prostitutes as well. And it's fascinating when you look at it. You just go, wow. There's, uh... He got around. Um, 
I think I've overspoken. Yeah, I've, I've said too much. So I'm going to shut up now. Michael, shut up. Uh, and also it's Dindin's time and my battery on my laptop is almost dead. So, oh, that was another burpee. Thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. Um, this, episode's conclude, this episode concludes next week. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.